Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by La Mega KC, Kansas City Spanish radio station. Listen online or at 100.5 FM. We're also sponsored by our friends at 1KC Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the KC Metro or online at 1KCRadio.org. Do you ever watch America's Next Top Model? Probably no. not. Mm-mm. They always do like an episode where they're like on screen and they have to do take after take after take. Mm-hmm. And the more takes you get in trouble and you can just see people get more and more pissed off. That's what I imagine you're going to be like. Take after take, you're going to be like, with this girl's not going to cut it, and I'm not going to become America's Next Top Model. Today we're talking about the ins and outs of urgent care. Coming up on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And I'm Kelly Johnson. Welcome to the program. We're coming to you from the ever-changing, ever-growing mountain of kindness that is the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services. Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. You're, yeah. Close to Sierra, but not. Sure. Yeah. I mean, kind of. I mean, if it was like Kiera. We both have like an E in our name. I guess that's And true. an I. Right. Um, Kelly, of course, is, uh, what is it, Director of Development? Director of Development. Here at the Pet Resource Center of yes. Kansas City. And, you know, we're trying this out. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if I get the job. Right. Of course. It's nice. It's a nice uh, reversal of our normal power dynamic. Yeah. Usually I'm telling you what to do. Right, exactly. And now I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, and I'm like, you said it wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know, here's something. I learned something really cool about cats this week. What? And I want to just say this up top. Because we're both cat people in this room now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, cats cannot—they don't get vitamin D from the sun, right? They can't absorb it through their skin. But what happens is, um, when sunlight hits their fur, their fur heats up and excretes like sebaceous oil. Okay, and then they lick that, and that's how they ingest vitamin D. Is that why they like? Lay in the sun all the time. It's probably one of the reasons. Yeah, huh. that would be my guess. I mean, also just like body. I thought they just wanted like a tan. You know. I mean, why not? Just go for it. Yeah. You know? What else are you doing? I have all black cats, so I'm not sure what they're tanning for. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They don't. Though, actually, with black cats, sometimes if they lay in the sun enough, you'll get those like rust color patterns that come through because yeah. they're all like secretly tabbies. It's rare for there to be like an all black. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah. Is all black. He has not one little white spot on him. Cute. But he's also feral, so. Yeah. Oh, he's fine. <laughs> well, I tell you what, why don't we go do some pet news? Okay, pet news. First up, cancer. I mean, the idea of cancer. Pretty scary, right? Turns out more adult dogs die from cancer than anything else. New tests can find tumor DNA pretty early now, and that's all well and good. But when do we start screening? That's what a new analysis aims to do, establish general cancer screening guidelines for dogs. Analyzing the data from 3,452 dogs that had cancer, some patterns started to emerge, and weight played a role. Dogs weighing 75 kilograms or more had a median age of five years for their diagnosis, whereas it was 11 years for dogs weighing 2.5 to 5 kilograms. For purebred dogs, the median age of diagnosis was 8.2 compared to 9.2 for dogs that were mixed. 
In general, females were diagnosed at an older age than males, and neutered dogs were diagnosed later than dogs that hadn't been fixed. Combining their findings with data from previous studies, the researchers proposed beginning blood test-based screening two years before they reached their median diagnosis age for their breed or weight. Um, I think this is really cool. Um, is this just for dogs, this research? This research is just for dogs. Okay. So, and I imagine that's probably like you'd have to do a separate one for cats. For cats. Because there's because different, different factors and right, all that sort of start stuff. start with cats. But I'm a cat person. What can I say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be cat people doing this stuff somewhere. I'm sure we'll find it eventually. <laughs> so a woman named Jennifer found an elderly dog that was found in the rain injured limping in the middle of the road by Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. So she did what anybody else would do. She took him in, took him to a vet. They treated the dog and scanned him for a chip. But when they looked up his registry number, they found a few things. That his name was Nugget and that his owner was listed being 2,000 miles away in New Mexico. So they reached out. And so Jesse Springer got a text message that shocked her. Are you missing a dog? She was. She'd lost Nugget seven years ago and searched her New Mexico community high and low, but never found him. This dog never left my side. So I thought he had like walked off to die because he was already old, she says. How did he end up so far away? Nobody knows. Sometimes people take in stray dogs, never gets them scanned for a chip, and then move. All we really know is that Jessie flew out to South Carolina as quickly as she could to be reunited with Nugget. She said, I'm thankful to finally have him home for, you know, the rest of the last three years he has, she said. What a cool story. It is a cool story. All I could think about is how he got there. Yes, exactly. I just imagine that he probably hitchhiked, like was going down the road, put up his little thumb. Yeah. yeah. They picked him up the, and then that's how he got right, there. The opposable thumb that he has. Yeah. Um, and his uh, traveler's bindle that he yeah. had over his shoulder. Yeah. And 100%. That's the only reasonable thing that makes sense. I agree with you. And um, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, I tell you what, let's go talk with Dr. Washington and Kristen um, about urgent care. One of the most recent developments here at PRC is our urgent care. It's really changed the dimensions of what we do, how we can help, and the options that we can provide to clients. Its genesis comes in part from our chief operations officer, Kristen Roth, and her first experience needing urgent care for one of her pets. Her cat swallowed a large amount of ribbon, and though our doctors were, of course, willing to do the surgery, we didn't have an x-ray machine yet, among other things, so she needed to get the initial workup done elsewhere. Her experience was eye-opening. When I was quoted the price for what it would have been it had I had to go elsewhere, even though I am a... Um you know, an individual with income, I I was shocked at what I would have had to put out there. And it, it made it, it made it so apparent to me that if I would have struggled in that moment, I couldn't imagine how many other people would struggle with a, you know, a, a simple treatment for their pet. So when we were able to procure grant funding to open up an urgent care, we jumped in with both feet had absolutely no idea what to expect. Um, it has far exceeded our expectations, but initially it was just let's kind of put together a room that could serve urgent care, put together staffing and see what happens. Since we didn't know what to expect, it was a soft rollout of the program so we could get our sea legs. 
No advertising, just taking on what came our way. But that grace period didn't last long. We're receiving hundreds of calls from on a daily basis from people within our community uh, for a variety of different needs, but a big need was them having an issue with having a, a sick or injured pet. Dr. Malia Washington had just come on board as our chief veterinarian and seeing the types of cases that would sometimes literally just show up on our doorstep, clients who needed help and couldn't get into their full service vet or didn't have money for treatment, it was clear that urgent care was a necessity in the community. Even in the past, well, especially in the past probably two to three years, um, we're seeing a huge influx of what people would consider emergencies. So lacerations, hit by cars, um, broken toenails, even vomiting, diarrhea, things that maybe they thought would pass, but they've waited too long. So now it really is an emergency and the dogs are lethargic and they really do need that hospitalized care. Private practices, it will obviously depend on the practice, but a lot of them don't have staff overnight. So they were forced to be shipped to an emergency clinic or move back and forth, be seen at an initial private practice and then be sent to an EC. Um, so there's just a lot of a lot of differences between each practice's policies and the availability to then go to an emergency clinic. And the wait times are just insane. Most private practices are already overbooked with just their normal clients, so they can't fit in another emergency. Or um, new clients want to come in, and if they're not already established – they can't fit those people in, so they have to go to an emergency clinic. We try to offer as many options as possible that a private practice and emergency clinic really just can't afford to do because emergency clinics are employing people 24 hours a day. And the cost of that is huge compared to what we have here, which is, you know, eight to four. One of the initial concerns was that we would be seen as trying to compete with other clinics on either side of the gap between full service clinics and emergency clinics. But that gap is less a gap than it is a kind of Grand Canyon-sized hole in animal welfare. And we've been working with full-service and emergency clinics to help the patients they simply can't. And in truth, they've been thankful for the place we're trying to occupy. Since, you know, in their business model, they, they are not a nonprofit, um, it can be very discouraging to have to hand somebody that bill who cannot pay it, and then they therefore may have to uh, refer them elsewhere. And and those vet clinics have been very grateful to now have somewhere to refer those individuals to. When you look at the different models of businesses, we have a very unique source of providing care with our spay neuter, with our wellness. Everything that we do is completely different than private practice and emergency. And we really want to facilitate helping those places get these animals proper care. Mission sends us a lot of things that owners can't afford a foreign body surgery or a bladder stone removal. We see those all the time. Palmitra, oh my gosh, so many dogs having issues with infected uteruses that we, we do this probably weekly, if not many a week, that are referred from a private practice or from an emergency clinic. Um, we also have really good partnerships. There's a clinic in Independence. I have forgotten the name, but um, they're fantastic and have taken two cases in the last week to help with weekend care because they do have staff there over the weekend. So we really, really want to be able to communicate to these private vets that we're here to help them as much as we can, them and their clients, take some of that load off of them and help their clients find a more affordable way to treat their pets. 
Yeah, I I would say we see kind of a almost a 50-50 private practice emergency. We see a lot of skin, a lot of ear infections, a lot of my dog broke his tooth, kind of things that really those are kind of normal general practice. Aside from vaccines, obviously we don't really do that, but um, we do get a fair number of my indoor outdoor cat is having diarrhea, but he also needs to be neutered. And it's like, well, let's go ahead and get his neuter, do his vaccines, check out the diarrhea, kind of all those little things like that that we've kind of turned maybe just a Eh, he's not doing right, but we've then been able to provide those vaccines and spay neuter opportunities. And on the flip side, we have seen gunshot wounds. We've seen hit by cars. We've seen numerous foreign bodies, um, a lot of crazy stuff, Advil toxicities and things like that, that are um, really needing intensive hospitalized care. We again have transported some of these pets to either private practices or emergency clinics um, to then follow up and do even orthopedic surgery from fractures and things like that. We've also done splinting and amputations. So it really, we've seen everything um, that I would have seen in a shelter in Texas where it's pretty much an emergency clinic 24 hours a day with animal control bringing in certain things. So it's very, it's very exciting. It's very interesting. It's a whole new source of medicine for our staff and they've all really enjoyed it. Um, And I, would hope for the most part, our clients are really appreciative and thankful and kind, but it does have a really long wait. Um, some of those emergent cases have to be bumped ahead of those skin infections, ear infections. Sometimes we have to turn those skin infections away because we do have to go into an emergency surgery and our staff is pretty limited in terms of doctors. And so our urgent care is doing well, almost too well. It's hard to know that the need for this is so strong and not be able to help everyone. But seeing the success of this endeavor has given us hope for the future and a desire to rise to the occasion and meet that need more and more every day. And that means finding ways to grow. For something like this to be successful, we have to depend on very motivated and very um, willing donors. I mean, we are a nonprofit and some of these people can't afford anything. They cannot afford a cent and we have to work up their pet or their pet dies. Like there's been I too many times to count where we've had to hospitalize a pet, do an emergency surgery on a pet and the owners have $50 for the exam, but nothing else, disability, kids, whatever. And we have to be able to work with them because that bond is something that can't be just replaced, right? So those types of organizations that have the ability to use donor funding and can fund programs like this and be able to staff it properly and educate the public properly on how how to utilize their services best I think that is a really sustainable model and we're showing we're, we're only showing growth and we're only able to hire more staff. Um, and when you find the right people and you can get the right donors that fall behind that message and, and can really motivate other people to come, come and be a part of that. Um, it literally is life changing. The program is also meant adjusting to staff needs and expectations as they learn to deal with one-on-one situations that can be emotionally taxing while furthering our goal of connecting with clients and understanding and honoring the bond they have with their pets. 
I mean, I love surgery. I could do spay neuters all day. I typically dance in surgery. Like I love it. That is my happy place. I get the most thinking done, the most planning done. It's a, it's an area of peace for me. It always has been. Um, and so what, when you do that every single day, that's all you're doing spays and neuters, spays and neuters. And so the staff, they get that same situation. They're great at high volume surgery. They know the flow. They can do 70 surgeries and they're great. When you flip that over to have very one-on-one client communication, when you hear these people's stories of how they're struggling, um, it's really hard. It's really hard to not want to help them. Um, And then you get clients who can be really difficult. And no matter what we try to do, we can't make them happy. So you get all aspects. And that's true for every veterinary industry. During COVID, vet clinics had such a spike in just difficult clients. And it was the stress of their life. I think where we can be also unique and where we are unique is that we want to hear your story because we want to help. So don't be afraid to tell us how you're struggling. Don't be afraid to tell us what's going on in your personal life because that gives us the opportunity to better care for your pet and for you. Like we keep pets and people together without knowing the people's story. We can't successfully do that. So Taking all of that in for our staff that works in urgent care, they have a much more one-on-one conversation. And even the happy stories are emotionally taxing sometimes. But I think for the most part, our staff has really grasped that and enjoyed it. And that encompasses the soul of our mission. So it really shows them that variety and the different ways that they can be of service to their community and our organization as a whole. And there are a lot of benefits to this new program. The additional services we provide also give our staff a chance to learn and grow in ways they might not have working solely with spay, neuter, or vaccinations. Yeah, we have a lot of people who are currently in school for RVT, some that have um, aspirations of being vets. Um, We just had um, a vet student intern in his fourth year, um, and he commented on how great it was to see the variety, how much hands-on experience he's gotten in two weeks compared to four years in vet school. And that is so inspiring for me because... No matter what, I have always been the type of boss that's like, I don't care if you work for me. I don't care if you leave. I don't care what happens. But whatever you do while you're here, I'm going to give you all the skills you need to get to where you want to go. So if I can teach you how to place catheters and intubate and prep for surgery, as well as having a compassionate conversation with an owner, you're going to go somewhere else and maybe be a manager or a leader because you've learned all these basic skills that you wouldn't get just doing spay neuter surgeries, right? So we've, we rotate all of our staff or at least try to through all parts so they can get one, reduce their burnout in one area and two, really get all that knowledge and communicate with me what their next steps are going to be in terms of their career and all of our leadership on the across the whole organization, but especially on the medical team is very motivated to have a very, very um, cross trainable, all inclusive type of staff where we all know every department and can work together to carry that emotional load. It's the only way you can do it, especially in an organization like this. The program is going to keep growing as word spreads. That means we've got to think about the future and how we can better accommodate this growing part of our services to handle the load. Our urgent care is so busy at this point that we need additional space 
not just for our staff, for kennels, um, for additional reception volunteers and staff, a waiting room, uh, a nice, comfortable space where we can do euthanasia on pets and also have a comfortable space for the clients who are having to go through that that day. So we're, we're going from a place where we're in an old kitchen (laughs) that we found in the corner of our building to a building where we can serve even more pets on a daily basis who are sick or injured. I asked both Kristen and Dr. Washington about the future. What does the process of growth and expansion of the program look like? With the move to a separate space, will we expand our hours of operation? Ooh, that scares me. But so I I honestly think that there's going to be a time when we have to be able to provide that for our community. What that looks like in terms of my staff's sanity, right? The pay that I provide my staff, I it's a very overwhelming thing to look at. But when we have clients that are just incredibly thankful and can come in and get their pet cared for, or they get really bad news and we're able to euthanize their pet peacefully at a very affordable cost, because that can be actually really expensive as well. Um, It's the vast majority of things that we've been able to do uh, have kind of blown my mind. I really didn't know what to expect. I was new to PRC and the urgent care idea was new and it's grown and grown and really is something that is so necessary. Um, So, my chief vet answer is however we can move forward in the best way for all of our people, our staff, our pets, our clients, that's how we're going to do it. And the more we can do for them and the more we can be able to give our staff that the pleasure of helping these people, that's what we're going to do. We're always going to adjust to our community and what the community needs. We've been here for 20 years doing that, and we're always going to. Um, so the more pets we can help, however we can do that, we're going to. We want to do more and as much as we possibly can. We're very much an organization that uh, moves forward very quickly with an idea, but we like to... Um, we like to ease into what we're doing. So right now we're a daytime urgent care. I envision that once we move and have a little more staffing, we move then into the evening time as well. And then maybe eventually we're able to pick up weekends and then overnights. So it, it likely won't be something that is an immediate 24-7 urgent care, but that is the end goal for us. However it happens and whatever it looks like, It seems like urgent care is here to stay. There's something about urgent care that, you know, for the critical nature of the pet in need that day and to to see how much stress is on that client um, wanting the best for their pet. It it just it's one of the most um, fulfilling programs I've seen here. I think It can be exhausting for our staff, but at no point would we want to be doing anything different. This episode drops the day before National Napping Day, a day where we celebrate sleep in all its beautiful, wonderful forms. 
So let's talk about the sleeping habits of dogs and cats and see what we see. Carnivores tend to sleep longer than herbivores because sleep is less dangerous for them compared to herbivores who are often prey animals. So it should be no surprise that dogs sleep more than humans. Age is one of the big determining factors in how long they sleep. For example, puppies sleep at least 11 hours a day, sleeping more during the day than adult dogs. Adult dogs average about 11 hours, ranging between 8 and 13 and a half hours. They sleep more at night than puppies, but napping can still take up about 37% of their day. Seniors, well, they sleep more and take more frequent naps because they've earned it and you don't dare tell them otherwise. Cats, well, they sleep when they want. More than half of them sleep between 12 and 18 hours a day, with nearly 40% pushing past that paltry 18 hours altogether. But it's more spread out. They have what's called a polyphasic sleep pattern, which means they do their sleeping in bursts instead of one long session. You know, catnaps. Catnaps average 78 minutes in length, but the overall range goes from 50 to 113 minutes. Dogs do this too, but split into smaller segments, about 45 minutes on average. Unlike humans whose sleep cycle is on a day-night divide, also called diurnal, cats are what's called crepuscular, meaning they are most active before sunrise and around sunset. So really and truly, they're not doing it to annoy you. Dogs, on the other hand, are most active from about 8 to 10 in the morning and then again from about 5 until 10 in the evening. And just like in humans, too much or too little sleep can be an indicator of other problems. So pay attention to your pet's sleeping habits. And in the case of brachycephalic dogs, they're much more likely to have obstructive sleep apnea, which, let me tell you from personal experience, that'll make you feel like you never really sleep. And one last thing, give them a good place to sleep that's away from too much noise and light so they can get good rest. Just like us, all they want at the end of the day, or middle of the day, or multiple times throughout the day, is a quiet place to rest and collect themselves. Now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks to Kristen Roth and Dr. Malia Washington for educating us on the finer points of urgent care. As for us, we're a nonprofit dedicated to keeping pets and people together, and you can help. Just go to prckc.org and you can donate, volunteer, and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, please rate us and leave us a review. That always helps people find us. For all the latest info, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're PRR podcasts on both platforms. So tail wags and purrs to you and yours, and we leave you with the words of Ursula K. Le Guin. So maybe the difference isn't language. Maybe it's this. Animals do neither good nor evil. They do as they must do. We may call what they do harmful or useful, but good and evil belong to us, who chose to choose what we do. We must choose and choose again. The animals need only be and do. We're yoked, and they are free. So to be with an animal is to know a little freedom. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. Produced, written, and hosted by David Shapiro and Kelly Johnson. Recorded, mixed, and mastered by David Shapiro. Music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Musical Industries. Hazel Raw Musical Industries.